You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Hello, Brewer fans. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I am your host, Peter Go. And I'm welcomed here alongside my co-host, David. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for for joining us, Peter. We've got our first off-season episode today. The Brewers, unfortunately, missed the playoffs. That was, that was the way they were headed over the past week and a half. That was the way, after the Marlins series, it seemed very unlikely that they were going to make the postseason. And we almost, we almost kind of eulogized the Brewers in last week's episode, even though they still did have a chance officially had a kind of fun walk off on Monday, but everyone knew that it was really unlikely that they were actually going to make the postseason at that point, but it is official now. And we will, we will have a eulogy poem that I wrote a little, a little bit later. And I included every single member of the brewers in the poem. So We'll be getting to that a little bit later, but we're going to start out with our meaningless stat today. Brewers pitchers who are 36 years or older outperform those who are 25 and under in terms of ERA. The 36 plus crowd, which consisted of one pitcher, had a 4.30 ERA, and that one person would be Matt Bush. The 25 and under crowd, 4.97 ERA. Aaron Ashby, JC, Mejia, and Ethan Small combining for that 4.97 mark. Didn't feel like Matt Bush pitched very well this year, and he didn't, but he did outperform in terms of ERA, the combination of Aaron Ashby, JC, Mejia, and Ethan Small. Yeah, not sure exactly what uh, what to pull from that great, uh, great statistic. You can just about find any stat you want nowadays. It's crazy, but I will say you mentioned the postseason, the Brewers, of course, not being there. Last week, I said Brewers over the Cardinals in three. Uh, the Brewers could certainly handle the Cardinals, and the Cardinals a quick exit. Albert Pujols' career over. I feel like I have to at least mention that. Cardinals were down 2 nothing in game two. Um, recording this Sunday, I was watching that Saturday night, and Pujols came up with a runner on first, down by two. I was just waiting for a home run to left to tie the game. Um, didn't happen. He actually roped a ball down the line uh, for a really hard single. Uh, but Cardinals... Couldn't come back, and Phillies surprisingly took that one in two quick games. And a uh, quick note, obviously, I'm sure all of you are well aware, but um, only one of those wild card series going to game three, of course, that being Mets Padres, who are playing tonight, Sunday night. But overall, I think it was some fun baseball. I didn't get a chance to watch all the games, but um, there, I heard about the craziness over in Toronto and uh, the, the collapse that they had up eight to one, I believe in the fifth or sixth inning. So there was a lot of going on and I'm still confident the Brewers could have won the first series, but we'll never know. And uh, I will move on to actually some up updates, uh, pretty some exciting news for us, for our podcast. You've known us for some time now as the bleeding blue and yellow podcast. This will actually be our final episode under that uh, name. The bleeding blue and yellow podcast we will be switching over to the barrel banter in honor of the Brewers. I would say great mascot, the barrel man, who we've known for decades, uh, probably about 50 years, really, since the beginning of Milwaukee Brewers baseball, and is one of those logos that will just, I think, continue to last for a lifetime. 
And so we wanted to honor the Barrel Man logo. Like I said, we'll be switching the podcast to the Barrel Banter. And there's more updates, more things. We're going to be creating more content out there. So, David, what are some of the other updates that we're going to be doing as well? We already have going a YouTube channel. There are a few videos on there. We've mentioned them a little bit before on the, the podcast. But I, I broke down the Brewers successfully failing their rebuild. And I broke down how the 2021 rotation was the most improbable rotation of this century. So right now that YouTube channel is just under Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. But I wanted to, because it's becoming a bigger part of what I'm doing, what we're doing, I wanted to change the name to reflect that a little bit better, change it to The Barrel. So the YouTube channel will be known as The Barrel. And it's getting a lot of attention. This last video hasn't hit as well as the first one, but how the Brewers successfully failed their rebuild. The first video I made, that one has about 40,000 views on it right now. It's been making the rounds, getting comments from not only Brewer fans, but even Cardinals fans, Twins fans, Mariners fans. And even some, one guy, I think, said, I'm not really a baseball fan, but I thought you did a really good job with it. To be honest, I'm not exactly sure why he decided to watch it, but I'm, uh, I'm grateful for all our listeners and all, all our viewers here and on the, the YouTube channel. So that'll be that'll be a change that we'll make this week, changing our name from the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast to The Barrel on YouTube and The Barrel Banter here on our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate all of you guys listening and tuning in to the podcast as well as to YouTube. And yeah, I, if you haven't had a chance to watch the the last two videos that we've put out, uh, but specifically that the Brewers um, rotation and the failed rebuild, the failed rebuild, it's so easy to forget how recent really it was that we had Matt Garza, Chris Carter, Ramon Flores, of course, Colin Walsh, got to throw him in there. But we had those teams and, and we forget uh, how just how relatively recent that was. And the Brewers ascend into perennial contenders um, for the, the division at least. And so I, I really enjoyed that video. Um, highly recommend it. Like you said, has had over 40,000 views. So certainly go check that out. So David, what is today's trivia question today? I'll be giving you the trivia question for today, Peter. Hopefully you have it. Hopefully our listeners are able to get the trivia question today. Just one brewer has been worth at least two wins above replacement each of the past three full seasons those three seasons being 2019 and 21 and 22. Who is that player? It could be a hitter or a pitcher, and it is someone who has been a member of the Brewers for each of those years, 19, 21, and 22. We'll have that hopefully right answer at the end of the at the end of the episode. And today we also are going to recap. Now it's the end of the year, the minor league free agent draft. For our dedicated listeners who remember us drafting the Brewers minor league free agent signings at the beginning of the year, names like Tyler White, John Singleton, Hobie Harris, we drafted them and we had a competition to see who could get the better result. Batters faced for pitchers and plate appearances for hitters are the two marks of success. So we have the final tallies in and Peter is the winner of that free agent draft. Peter had 445 batters faced plus plate appearances, and I had 104. Peter, with the contributions coming from Jason Alexander, 
Trevor Kelly and Mark Mathias, while I had just Jonathan Davis and Connor Sadzek. So we need a victory speech from Peter. What what do you have to say after winning our first, our inaugural minor league free agent draft? First off, certainly want to thank friends and family who were there to support me in this draft in my uh, in-depth preparation and analysis of Jason Alexander, Trevor Kelly, Mark Mathias, and the likes. I certainly would not have expected to be here. 445 plate appearances plus batter's face is actually a lot more than I would have expected. I think more than, than either of us expected. Um, even combined 549 of those batter's face plus plate appearances between these five players. So we had more contributions from minor league free agents than we expected. But uh, certainly a proud, proud moment for me uh, in my success in defeating you in a very important, very skills-based, absolutely all my analysis uh, and, and zero luck involved in in that draft. And yeah, I will look forward to winning that again next year. Definitely should be something that we do every single year. And uh, maybe I can find the next Jason Alexander. Hopefully Jason Alexander may be on the roster next year. So we'll have to see if you can catch lightning in a bottle again, see if you can strike gold with your, your uh, formulas that you, that you compose for the draft uh, to, to use the uh, in-depth analysis that you did for the, the draft and getting Alexander and a couple others. But I mentioned at the start of the episode, we were going to have a eulogy poem to the 22 Brewers. And I would like to read this poem. It is filled with hopefully tears as we look back on uh, uh, above average, but disappointing Brewers season. We remember the the uh, the players for their contributions as as big as Corbin Burns and as small as I don't know who had the smallest contributions this year Connor Sadzek maybe I, I was going to say it depends how you measure a small impact because Jason Alexander probably had a, a more of a negative impact than uh, than Sadzek but I guess it depends how you look at it I guess that's true but either way so so somebody who may have have played just two games or or someone who played the entire year. So I got everybody into the, the poem, and I guess you can fact check me to see to make sure I didn't miss anyone. But without further ado, I will read this poem and see if you guys like it. The 22 season has now concluded. A story of disappointment for the playoffs were eluded. No brewers in October. That makes me very sad, Zek. A long move at the deadline, and their season was wrecked. We knew this whole month their chances were small, officially out of the race, no playoffs for us all. Early on the bad teams, they would rough up. The fans were rowdy, a team full of studs. Their offense was clutch with some big hits from Kutch. In the Brewers' hauser, they couldn't be touched. But the year got tougher, as the standings do show. The team was inconsistent, bouncing to Renfro. The offense was tailored towards hitting the long ball, a ton of home runs, but their liners would not fall. The hitting from Omar and the catchers was lean. Their hitting contributions were quite caratini. The limitations they had were Severino. The fans exclaimed, no estamos feliciano. Can the team hit? Can they yandel a good pitch? Hit the ball more, the fans did yell itch. But at the other team, the fans would still bark or 
That was Bush. Just go back to Chicago. To trade Josh Hader, they'd need to find a good suitor, but they'd be burned by the move. Their hopes turned to Ashby. Help in the bullpen, so they signed Jake McGee and a replacement for Freddie. Let's claim Chi-Chi. Suspended was JC, bad was Trevor Kelly, but good pitching they got from Hobie and Strzelecki. Mitchell and Brasso often got on base. We saw lots of walks from Davis and Jace. Willie was great over 30 Jackson. And with Devin in the ninth, fans would be relaxing. Often the fans would complain of Urias as well as the trade, including Mark Mathias. Taylor Rogers was bad. Fans wanted him gone. Trade him for a box of burgers. He just needs to be gone. Perdomo stepped up, replacing Urenia, who we barely saw, just like Miguel Sanchez. Alexander struggled when behind in the count he fell. Maybe he'll improve with some coaching or counsel. The pitching was okay, and the offense had power, and they got plenty of strikeouts, just like Eric Lauer. In October, we hope to watch Jake Cousins, but instead we'll be watching his quarterback cousin. This year was a failure, one we did not envision, so the fans have decided to riddle them with derision. With free agents and trades, there will be many a decision after the Brewers failed to finish a top of the division. Can I start snapping? Is that is that the appropriate response? I think so. Okay. You don't I, want to I, then, get too I, then, Yeah, I, I will. I will uh, restrain myself. But there were there were some good ones in there. I, I, first off, you got every single player in there in a poem that actually made sense, which was actually like the poem was underrated. Uh, I will have to say. But um, I'm trying to remember some of my favorite ones. The the, the Brewers claiming Chi Chi that was a good one. Um, I mean, like how you use sad Zach Hauser, Lauer even li- rhymed, and you got you got Hobie Strzelecki. I can't even remember who you rhymed some of those with. Um, but I I don't even know how you got all of them. What was your what was your favorite uh, word shift that you somehow got got in there, whether Hauser or, or or someone else? I think it would it would probably be can the team hit or can, can the team hit? Can they yandle a good pitch like handle? I should have maybe said that a little bit better. Yandel a good pitch. Yandel. A okay. Good pitch. I, I didn't catch that the first time for, for Yandel Gustave. Yeah. Um, yep. I think probably my worst one was rhyming Urenia with Sanchez, but we'll just ignore that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my like brain kind of went off. That rhyme with them. Yeah. I was, <laughs> my brain like went off on that and I was like, I must have just missed. Uh, I must have just missed that, but that's all right. We'll we'll give you a pass on your your Urania. I don't know what you would have rhymed that with, um, but that yeah. Was I actually... kind of turn my brain off whenever I'm whenever I try to think about Jose Urania. I'm just like, no, we're just gonna shut that yeah. down. Exactly, exactly. That that definitely needs to be released to uh, to Twitter. So I will definitely expect a tweet on that with uh, the 2022 Brewer eulogy poem. That will I guarantee that'll be the best. 2022 Brewers eulogy poem of the year. I I'd guarantee it. I hope so. It's it seems like something that we'd see out of Tim Dillard or something. Maybe maybe we got to get uh next year maybe a uh, a feature get Tim Dillard featured on the uh on the poem. Get him to write a stanza. <laughs> yeah, we we can try. We could, we could see if we could we could pull that off, but I guess for now we'll just settle with putting out the best 22 Brewers eulogy poem 
and we'll we'll settle with that. Yeah, and it's also probably the worst one, but we we won't uh, we won't dwell on that. Hopefully, hopefully next year we'll we'll write the uh, Brewers twenty twenty three World Series championship poem. That that will be a lot more fun, and I will expect one of those from you. But like I said, excellent poem uh, that will be on Twitter if you do want to read it because uh, you can't fully appreciate the. Lit, I was going to try to say literature, lit, the literic, literic skills, whatever, literature, literary poem writing, skills. That, uh, literary. There we go. That would be the easy word. Literary skills that uh, were just exemplified there. Excellent. So before I stumble on any further, let's go up to a new segment, David. Three up, three down. Three good things about the Brewers 2022 season and three not so good. I will go first here with number one on the three up, three down. First, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff each cemented their status as two of really the premier pitchers in the National League or really in all of baseball. Of course, we all know Corbin Burns coming off the 2021 Cy Young campaign. Didn't pitch quite as well as 2021, but that was expected. I I certainly couldn't have imagined back-to-back seasons. Still finishing first in strikeouts, second in strikeouts per nine, ninth in walks per nine fourth in strikeout to walk, second in hits per nine. Uh, Also showed his durability, able to go deeper into games, which has been fun to see. Not something that we've been accustomed to since the Jeff Supon, Braden Looper era. But uh, Burns finishing fourth in innings, 10th in ERA, eighth in FIP, fifth in whip. You can go on and on. Burns was good. There's no question about that. But I think Brandon Woodruff actually flies under the radar. He was obviously outstanding, especially that last month. That was really fun to see Brandon Woodruff really take off carry the Brewers when they needed him the most. Tell us, David, a little bit about just how good Brandon Woodruff was in 2022. I was shocked to see that Woodruff finished in the top 10 in strikeouts, ninth to be precise, with 190. And that came in just 153 innings since he missed time with that ankle injury and then also the Raynaud syndrome that he dealt with. He had a 305 ERA across those 153 innings. And he actually had about the same strikeout rate as Corbin Burns. We think about Burns' dominance and excellence as a starting pitcher, and those things are certainly true. Burns is both excellent, and he he does so with a lot of strikeouts. But Woodruff actually struck batters out at about the same pace. In fact, his strikeouts per nine innings was even a little bit better than Burns at 11.2. He finished 12th in Fangraph's war among NL starting pitchers, and that came with Woodruff not even pitching a complete season. So very impressive numbers coming out of Brandon Woodruff. I think he flew way under the radar with his injury, with the way that he started the year, and with Corbin Burns at the top of the rotation again. Yeah, absolutely. He was absolutely underrated. Struck out a ton of batters. That's outstanding for him to be ninth in strikeouts, like you said, with only 153 innings. He really was a workhorse when he was healthy. I'm I'm excited to have Burns and Woodruff back. And we've now obviously had a long track record or long enough track record with both of them that we know what we can expect. And that's two top of the line aces in the Brewers rotation going into next year. So number two in our three up, three down segment is about Devin Williams. Devin Williams developed into one of the better closers in baseball. David, why don't you share a little bit about just how good Devin Williams was? Among National League relief pitchers, Devin Williams ranked second in Fangraph's wins above replacement He ranked fourth in strikeouts per nine innings, fourth best home run per nine ratio, and the fourth best fielding independent pitching. Those numbers all among relievers with at least 50 innings pitched. Williams 
cemented himself as one of the best relief pitchers in the NL. Even at the at the end of the season, he did have that outing against Miami where he where he blew the save. But I mean, the fact that we're even talking about him blowing a save is pretty indicative of the year he had. When the the rest of the bullpen faltered down the stretch, Bush, Rogers, even Boxberger had his share of struggles, especially in late August. Williams was the one steady guy that you could give the ball to, and you pretty much could expect that he was going to get the job done. He had one little hiccup right after the Hadar trade, and then at the end of the year, he blew that save. But really, he was he was excellent from pretty much from game number two or game number three. He had a, he had a couple bad outings to start, and after that, he was lights out. Edwin Diaz probably had a better year than him. Emmanuel Classe maybe, but Williams was one of the best closers in baseball. Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed to go back to the start of the year after a couple bad starts from or bad bad appearances from Williams, I should say. And I remember saying, "Is Williams going to be the same pitcher this year?" And uh, certainly can laugh at that one now. Um, he is one of the best closers in baseball, and I I think even his season went under the radar. Even we know, even though we know he's one of the best, we're we're just so accustomed to having a top five closer in all of baseball for the last several years, obviously going back to Josh Hader. So we're certainly spoiled anytime the Brewers enter in the ninth inning with a lead, more or less we can consider the game over. So Williams was outstanding. Uh, Our final up on this one here is the Brewers receiving steady contributions from three position players this year in Hunter Renfro, Willie Adames and Rowdy Telez. Renfro, of course, in his first year with the Brewers really was a solid outfielder for the Brewers, kind of your classic, I would say, five hitter with good power, just a, just missed 30 home runs, a 126 OPS plus, and a slash line of 255, 315, 492. Just a really good guy to have in the middle of the lineup. You know, he's not necessarily the star bat, um, and he was streaky at times, but for the most part, the Brewers could count on him to not only be a good hitter, but, um, you know, not, not I should say not only a good hitter when you look at the numbers, but he's also the kind of guy who tends to get the guy over. He hits the fly ball for the sack fly that you need. He plays the game right. Um, so he's the, he's a guy that you want in your lineup. And then the Brewers, of course, getting a lot from Willie Adames and Rowdy Telez. Telez, you know, only shows a 0.8 B-War, baseball reference, wins above replacement. Um, defensively, okay over at first, obviously a bigger guy, but holds his own. 35 home runs, 89 RBIs, a little bit of an old-school stat season, I guess if you want to call it that, only hitting 219. But he was valuable, certainly, on the offensive side of things. And, and also remember how we got Rowdy Telez. We didn't exactly give up a lot or draft him in the first round. Um, a great acquisition by the Brewers in in getting Rowdy. And then, of course, Adames, I think, for the most part, everyone would agree, would probably be the best position player for the Brewers. Would you agree with that, David? Yeah, he was basically Rowdy as a hitter, but as a good defensive shortstop. Yeah, that's a good good way to put it. Just 31 home runs, just four, I should say, just four behind Rowdy with 31 home runs, uh, a few more RBIs with 98. Uh, we know he was he uh, was unable to hit 100 after a slow end of the season. I was a little bit disappointed with his final week. Like I said, with Woodruff stepping up late in the year, uh, Burns stepped up in that start against the Marlins. The Brewers were just, they just needed a hit. They needed uh, a clutch hit, and the Brewers really couldn't get one. Uh, in that Marlins series. And Adames had a lot of opportunities. The Brewers had a lot of opportunities in general as an offense, but when you know that Adames is the Brewers offensive leader um, and, and he had plenty of chances, I was disappointed to see that, but I think it's a, a very well, well put summary of Adames and a similar hitter 
than than Rowdy, but a good defensive shortstop at that as well. So that concludes our three up, and let's move to our three down here. Three down things from the 2022 season. First, five of the Brewers' six primary starters spent time on the injured list, including, of course, Freddie Peralta getting hurt uh, the longest, he only making 17 starts. Yeah, Corbin Burns was the only starter who was able to, to take the ball every five days or, or six days. Never went on the IL, but all the others did. And, of course, largely outside of their control. But it still was was one of the, 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 the aspects that led to the Brewers missing the playoffs. If the Brewers' rotation, even if, if two of the other five stay healthy for the whole year, I'm pretty sure that that makes up for the, the two wins that they needed to, to beat the Phillies. And that, that didn't happen. And I think it would have also put less strain on the bullpen that we ended up seeing in the, the end of the year. So that was one of the, the main, I think, the main drawbacks to the, the season for the Brewers. The second, the late inning relief implosion in the second half. Williams was excellent. Boxberger was still pretty solid in the second half. But Bush was pretty bad after he came over. Um, Taylor Rogers was terrible. Suter was pretty good and Gott was okay. But you can't really trust Suter or Gott in high leverage innings. Strzelecki, he did well. But then you had Hobie Milner, who had an ERA over six. You had just a lack of depth there, it seemed like, at the end of the year, where you're just calling up kind of – I mean – I really thought Topa and Cousins might have been two of our better options by the end of the year, but do you cut ties with Rodgers? Do you cut ties with Trevor Gott? I don't know. It's a tough situation, but the fact of the matter is the late inning relief did not get it done with Rodgers, Bush primarily, and a little bit of Boxberger, and that ended up leading to their their demise at the end, especially in that Marlins series. Yeah, I think we've almost got a little cause and effect going on our uh, three-down segment here. Five of the six starters on the IL, which leads to the late-inning relief implosion that we saw. And number three, Brewers, of course, missing the postseason for the first time in five years. It is a bit strange, and uh, I was realizing I was a whole lot less excited about the postseason this year. I was still watching some games, but it's definitely not the same. Even if you're watching other NL games or even other AL games, when you know the Brewers are in it and they could be playing those teams, it's a whole lot more interesting as a Brewers fan. So, David, let's move on to our third topic of the day here. Our end of the year awards. We will try to uh, avoid Tom Hodricourt esque grading style here. Maybe we'll do some grading at some point, but we'll stick to some of the main awards here. Newcomer of the year, unsung hero of the year, then of course Cy Young, most valuable position player, and MVP. So, David, I'll have you go first here. Who was your newcomer of the year? Hunter Renfro is my newcomer of the year. We talked about him a little bit before, but 126 OPS plus was the best mark of any regular on the Brewers. He played a solid right field, had a, a great arm, including included in that defensive package that you get with Renfro, almost 30 home runs. And that came even though he only played 125 games, missed the others due to time spent on the injured list. He was really solid. He's He's a player that you... You need to have a lot of Hunter Renfro's on your team if you're going to win a lot of baseball games. The Brewers had Renfro. Unfortunately, they just didn't have enough high-end talent in the offense to uh, to have Renfro maybe supplement those guys. But to think that we got him for two lower-level prospects and Jackie Bradley Jr. for Renfro, a steal of a trade. 
and Renfro, someone that I'm looking forward to seeing in a Brewers uniform again next year. Yeah, of course, David Stearns and Brewers front office, Matt Arnold, taking a lot of slack this year, of course, for the Josh Hader trade, which, by the way, I, I still think made the Brewers organization better. Again, not saying I'm necessarily in favor of it, but I think the Brewers organization got better from that trade. Of course, the front office took a lot of slack this year. But we also have to remember, I already mentioned Rowdy Telez, how we acquired him. Renfro trade was obviously an outstanding steal. The track record for the Brewers front office has been unbelievable. Um, I, I think it'd be an interesting uh, video at some point down the line that we could maybe, maybe even do outlining just how good the Brewers front office has been in the David Stearns era. Some of the pickups that they've had, and of course they've had some whiffs as well. Um, but for the most part, if you look at the Brewers trades, especially the more significant ones that they've made in the Stearns era, it's pretty outstanding the returns that the Brewers have been able to have. And like you said, Brewers swapping Jackie Bradley Jr., who was uh, worse than unplayable for uh, an incredibly important bat in the Brewers lineup in Hunter Renfro. So no more on Renfro. I think I would agree he certainly is the newcomer of the year. Um, my pick uh, outside of Renfro, just to no mention a couple notable newcomers who are also uh, impactful for the Brewers. Victor Caratini, um, you said a, a, a Caratini impact for the season, maybe a fair a, a, a fair statement, but he was outstanding in the first half, played his way into a role behind the dish with the Brewers' whole mess of a scenario with Pedro Severino's suspension and Narvaez's lack of performance this year. Outstanding in the first half, but really just fell off a cliff in the second half, so was certainly unfortunate. Uh, I think he ended the year um, around the Mendoza line in batting average, so not a very astute offensive player for sure by any means. Garrett Mitchell, want to mention Mitchell's brief time with the Brewers this year, of course, as a newcomer. Uh, just 61 at-bats, so not exactly much of a sample size to go off of, but he did bat 311 with a 373 on base, 459, slugging two home runs, nine RBIs, and, of course, that walk-off single. That was certainly his highlight as a Brewer thus far. Certainly been exciting to see him. And then finally, I will mention Mike Brasso. Uh, not a lot of expectation from Brasso. We expected him to face lefties, as he was known for. Um, probably largest career moment, of course, known for his home run off a roll as Chapman. But Brasso was all that and then some. Uh, Brasso ended up getting 141 at-bats, which I think is a lot more than I was expecting him to get. But really performed pretty well. 255, 344, 418 slash line with 117 OPS plus. So certainly a well above average hitter and was a, a very valuable piece to have off the bench. Just a great guy to be able to plug and play over at third base and also off the bench. Uh, gave Greg Council a lot of good options in matching up against relievers. So I think Brasso was an underrated newcomer of the year and kind of a couple of them, Mitchell as well. Uh, the only one I guess I wouldn't say was a, was a positive newcomer of the year would unfortunately have to be Andrew McCutcheon. Um, in his lackluster campaign with the Brewers. But no more on that. Unsung hero of the year. David, who do you have? I have Brad Boxberger. I feel like we need a good nickname for, for Brad Boxberger. We're trying to think of, of what it might be. The first that came to my mind was Everyday Brad, but, but that was Ray King, Everyday Ray. So I feel like we'd be stealing that from him. I was thinking maybe Bland Brad, Basic Brad, Boring Brad. There, there, there are some that you could play with. See if maybe do you have any other better suggestions, or if not, we can see if our listeners have a better nickname for Brad yeah, Boxberger. He, he really does deserve one. He is very bland. Uh, I don't know if bland Brad, uh, but fastball changeup not really sexy when you're talk, looking at Devin Williams changeup or Corbin Burns 
sinker slider mix or Brandon Woodruff's good old fastball, but uh, he gets results. So Brad, box of burgers, what do you have for him? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that Brad Boxberger is is pretty sexy, especially compared to. I mean, you, you see him dot those changeups that he has, um, but but he did have a two nine five ERA this year, struck out just over a batter an inning, seventy appearances. He was really solid, very steady. So even though he may be boring, Brad, he still is. I, I guess that maybe makes him the perfect candidate for unsung hero. He was excellent this year, and the Brewers would have been a worse team without. Brad Boxberger. Yeah, he was a staple in the bullpen, consistent pretty much throughout the whole year. My unsung hero is a guy that I think is, his 2022 season was really under the radar because of the start he had, kind of the opposite of Caratini. Colton Wong had a very, very bad start, was very bad defensively, bad offensively, but turned out a very, very solid year for the Brewers. Of course, uh, primarily manning that second base position. He was third on the team in baseball reference wins above replacement. So just let that sink in third behind just Willie Adames and Corbin Burns. Um, so excellent year. I thought from Colton Wong, a 251 batting average, 339 on base percentage, 430 slugging good for a 118 OPS plus 15 home runs, almost 500 plate appearances. I, I really like Colton Wong. I really like the season he put up. I would be in favor likely of keeping Colton Wong for 2023. I know that the Brewers have an option, We'll certainly uh, dive into the details around the Brewers keeping Wong or choosing to go another route, but I would generally be in favor of him. And I think that Brewers fans don't realize just how good he was and certainly had a great uh, second half of the season, which hopefully could play into 2023 as well. So moving on to the Cy Young Award, this one may be uh, a bit obvious. Brewers had two pitchers that were certainly worthy of any team's Cy Young Award in Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. David, who was your pick here for the Cy Young? I'm going with the basic Corbin Burns pick. 294 ERA, 202 innings. I think the innings total is the, the biggest stat for me, and it is for Burns. Burns said before the year, I remember listening to an interview, his goal before the year was to throw 200 innings. Is that why the Brewers let him start that last game to get over the 200-inning threshold? Perhaps, because it seemed like they were trending towards not letting their everyday guys play at the end of the year once they were eliminated, but he had an excellent year. I mean, who was, who was the last brewer to throw 200 innings in a year? Gallardo maybe. Yeah. I think you, you don't be have to know this off the top of your head. But, cause I, cause we've, we've had a lot of, I mean, before Burns and Woodruff and Woodruff, Woodruff didn't hit 200 last year before them. Like we had, Chase Anderson, who was good one year, Junior Guerra, Wade Miley, Chassin, maybe. He might have, actually. But yeah, he, he may have. Corbin but... Burns, of course. Right, exactly. Yeah, Burns, Burns, like you said, the innings is what set, set apart him from Woodruff. He, Burns has to be my pick as well. If Woodruff put up you know comparable numbers that he put up last year and he doesn't get hurt and he matches around the 200 innings, then I think you could make the case for either of them. But... Certainly Burns had the the more uh, volume than, than Woodruff and certainly deserved that Cy Young award. Another player who certainly deserved the award, most valuable position player. Uh, certainly Colton Wong was excellent. I wouldn't put him as the pick for the most valuable. I think we would both agree that that would go to Willie Adames, who put up a very solid season, had an excellent September leading up until that last series really against the Marlins. Um, I, I think he, didn't he, 
trying to remember off the top of my head here in that one week where he just absolutely went off and won player of the week. What was what what was it? A, a, a win above replacement that week? Two wins? It's something crazy, I remember. Yeah, I think it was like 1.1 wins above replacement that that week. So he was worth about $8 million that week, at least according to the the general calculations they do. Now, I guess if the Brewers paid that actual amount for their, their production, Mark Atanasio would not be very happy. But yes. But maybe they would get more bites at the apple if they did. That is, uh, I think, that is very uh, yeah, true. But I think it's it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear that Willie was the the Brewers' most valuable position player, even though he did have maybe a down year offensively. One one development that I was a little bit um I don't know if I'd say like worried about, but like I didn't like was that his swing it felt like it got more more of an uppercut. And it, that was reflected in the stats, or perhaps vice versa. He sought after the the high home run total, and he did hit 30 for the first time in his career and came just two RBIs short of 100. But his OPS fell by 130 points. His average fell by almost 50 points. His on-base fell by almost 70 points. And even his slugging fell because of his his doubles power that that was not as good, at least on a, a an every-game basis. So that was one of the developments that I would say I was not too keen about with Willie, whether that was a cognizant effort or not. I don't know that we'd have to talk with him or the hitting coaches to know that, but it seemed like it was at least from watching. Yeah. Something that he'll have to consider over the off season on wanting to continue to work on his swing. And if he does want to continue to be that 30 home run, hundred RBI guy, or more like that 2021 Willie Adames that we saw. And I think we both would agree would be more valuable for the Brewers offense, especially when you look at an offense that's already <clears throat> very much reliant on the home run ball. Um, I think it would be more valuable to have 21 Willie Adames. If, if we could just, you know, pick a, pick a, pick a season and then put up that production. But Willie Adames certainly was good. And I think you could make potentially the case um, for Adames as, uh, like I said, of course the most valuable position player, but Brewers MVP, I think there's not much debate on that one either. I think we could both agree for the reasons we really already mentioned. Corbin Burns um, had the best year of, of the Brewers pitching staff and was more valuable than Willie Adames. Again, I mentioned this before, but I'll say it one more time. I think Adames also needed to step up in that Marlins series and wasn't able to do that. If you're going to be the leader of the offense, those are the situations that it has to happen. And it doesn't have to be a three-run shot. Sometimes it's a sacrifice fly or a base hit to right field, but he wasn't able to do that. And like you said, ended up striking out a fair amount. So, there we have it, our MVP of the Brewers 2022 season, Corbin Burns. David, let's move on to our final segment. This is a fun one. Um, I'm excited to do this one. Our new segment here called Fact or Fiction. So David or I will throw out a statement and uh, we'll share some thoughts on whether we think that is fact or fiction. So first one, David, here. This is, uh, I guess, a controversial one, but an interesting one. I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts on this. Christian Yelich is an average player. So do I say fact or fiction first, or do I let <laughs> the the reader answer the question first? You you can go either way you want with it, but I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So why don't why don't you share your thoughts, okay. and uh, we'll sure. we'll tweet out some of these fact or fictions. And I'm actually I'm excited to hear both your thoughts, but I'm also excited to hear Brewers fans' thoughts on this. So we can maybe start some uh, tweets on on fact or fiction. Okay, I. 
I, I would say it's closer to being a fact than a fiction. Do I have to pick like either fact or yes. fiction? You got to pick. Okay. Then I will, then I will say fact. Um, why don't you give your answer and then we'll see if we agree or disagree right. and go from there. We'll work on our, uh, on our flow on this fact or fiction. So my, my answer <laughs> to the Christian Yelich is an average player. I, I would, I would say if the, if the statement was Christian Yelich was an average player in 2022, I'd say I mean, probably a fact. I, I think he was about an average player. Do I think Christian Yelich is an average player? No, I'm still one of those two hopeful Brewer fans that he's somehow going to um, show some signs that he had of his, of course, MVP campaign. Do I think he'll ever be that player again in a season? Probably not, but I'm still hopeful that we see a better Christian Yelich. So I'm going to go fiction on this and say Christian Yelich is not an average player. He may have put up an average 2021-2022 campaign, but I still think there's more to Yelich as a player. Any other thoughts you have on that? Yeah, one thing I, I'd say is he did play the whole year this year, which is a positive development compared to last year. He also was a very similar hitter, but in more more of a pitcher's environment this year. So his, his overall hitting numbers compared to the league were better this year. So those are both positives if you want to look for positives out of him. But the the one thing I'd say is that they found through research for the projection systems that there's really no correlation between that player in his upcoming year and any season more than three years prior. So essentially, when you're projecting a player for 2023, there's no correlation between what he's going to do in 2023 and what he did more than three years prior. So that would be 2019. So essentially you take 2020, you take 21 and 22, and those are really the only seasons that matter. I'm sure we'll see that reflected a bit in those projections that we see coming from fan graphs or other, other publications. But we are pretty far from that, that player. If you think about even, I mean, he, he hasn't had an OPS that was above 800 now since he was in Miami. And even then, I mean, he's been, he's been closer to the hitter he was in Miami than the hitter he was with the Brewers. Are, are we sure that it wasn't just an aberration for about a year and a half that, that Yelich played better in the second half of 18 and 19 and is really just a, a, a little bit above average hitter over the course of his career. And he's also 30 now. He's not getting any younger. Yeah, that's why I would, I, I would say, say, yeah, closer yeah to, I'd say it's hard, hard to call a 40 plus home run an aberration compared to a 14 home run season, but also share what you noticed uh, in his 22 campaign with his fly balls as well to right field. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so I saw this on Twitter. Someone else tweeted it. Um, don't want to act like it was me who who made this discovery, but he only pulled three fly balls this entire year and they were all home runs. So when I was looking at. So like I did, I opened his page to look at it to see if that was true. And I mean, I didn't go through all his fly balls or look at the exact numbers, but every time I'd look at like, well, there were none that showed up as flyouts. And every time it was like a double to the pull side, it was always like a line drive or a hard ground ball in the right spot down the line. It was never like a true fly ball. So that was one thing too. He had, I think like 20 of them in 2019 or 2018 which perhaps explains that a little bit. But I think then it get, also you get back to the question of why is that the case? Because there has to be some sort of reason for why he isn't pulling fly balls 
to, to hit fly balls to the pole side, you have to be more out in front on the ball. It's not really so much about like the, the actual angle of the bat. There's a little bit of that, but it's more so where you hit it. And when you hit the ball out front, you're going to get better results. You're going to hit the ball in the air more often. You're going to hit it harder and to the pole side. And it's going to go farther when you hit the ball hard and to the pole side. So um, you, you want to hit pulled fly balls and those are the most likely to be home runs. And the power is what has gone significantly down for Yelich. Yeah. And, and not, not even the hard hit rate. I mean, we, we saw how hard he hit the ball this year with average results. So no more, no more topic on, uh, no more time on, on Christian Yelich. Number two factor fiction, David Luis Urias should be given everyday playing time. That is a fact. Yes, I would have to agree with that. I think that is a fact as well. Urias uh, was another guy I, I felt like I should have mentioned but didn't on how underrated of a season he had. The reason I didn't is he's had a little bit higher expectations. So, I mean, Urias put up a 239, 335, 404 slash line. Good for 110 OPS plus and a 3.1 baseball reference wins above replacement. But I think Brewers fans are acting as though he wasn't really much of a factor, that he didn't really get any better from last year. He was still quite valuable, uh, not to mention that he was playing good defense at third base and second base, and I think has a long-term future with the Brewers. So I think it's I think there shouldn't be a question about it. And and am I remembering correctly as well that uh, Jace Peterson may have played his last game with the Brewers as well? Peterson's a free agent, so he was he was the main guy taking at bats away from Urias. Perhaps Colton Wong too, because Wong is an option. I think that might be one of our factor fictions though. Oh, not this week, but I think next week maybe or or coming up, that'll be one of them about Colton Wong. But yeah, I mean, Luis, I think was expected to take a step forward because he's only 25 last year was his first full season in the majors and he didn't really take a step forward, but he was a good player last year. So I don't really think we should act like he wasn't still a valuable player. He's a guy that I wouldn't I would have preferred to see playing every day compared to especially second half Jace. I know Jace got off to an excellent start when Luis was hurt at the beginning of the year, but especially later in the year when Jace came back from that elbow injury, Luis significantly outplayed Peterson and he had he had a really good end to the year um Urias did. So his numbers ended up being a little bit better than that, but the reality is down the stretch, they, they played Jace too much and they had a clear spot where they could have played Luis at third or they could have played him at second and Wong had a bad defensive year. You could DH Wong sometimes and give Kutch a day off. They played Kutch too much also. I thought that, that Urias should have played more. I hope he plays more next year and he certainly is worthy of that, I believe. All right, number three. Devin Williams is a top five closer in baseball. We kind of addressed this one earlier as well, but I believe that to be a fact. I would agree. I think that's a fact. I think we can move on to number four here. Also about the Brewers bullpen. Peter Strzelecki is one of the best, excuse me, one of the three best arms in the Brewers bullpen. I I would say that is, that's a Fact. He certainly had a top three reliever season, especially if you take out Hader from there. Yeah, I think, again, I would say if it said Peter Shazekli was one of the three best arms of the bullpen, uh, still on the Brewers at the end of the year, I would have said fact. But I'm going to go fiction on this one. 
I'm hopeful that Matt Bush has a better 2023 season. Hopeful that he can be really a true setup man. So I'm going to, I'm going to say strategically that's going to be fiction and that Brewers have Devin Williams, Matt Bush, Brad Boxberger. And I think Strzelecki could fit in that number four. Who knows? Uh, certainly pitched like it this year. Bullpen, obviously, relief pitchers are always a little bit volatile. But I'm excited to see what kind of performance he has next year. I just went to the Brewers depth chart on their website. And I don't know who makes this. I don't know like if they're trying to get a good order. But it says Taylor Rogers closer. And then it says Devin Williams under him, Boxberger. Suter, Hobie, Gott, Gustave, Miguel Sanchez, Matt Bush, then Peter Strzelecki. And I don't really know, like, are they trying to go in order? Because, like, if you look at the, the position players, they're, like, they generally are in order for their position. Like, Yelich's first left fielder, then Kutch, then Taylor. Th- then, wait, they have Luis Perdomo listed as our fourth string left fielder. <laughs> <laughs> um, that answers all the questions right we had. Uh, nice. How, who are they mixing him up with, though? Anyone, or is they are they just like? <laughs> I don't know. Because Mitchell Ruiz, they're mixing him up with Ruiz because Ruiz, Ruiz isn't listed on there at all. Yeah, <laughs> former Padres, I guess Padre um, Dominican, yeah. I think prospect. But yeah, so I guess funny. I guess uh, yeah some. Some Brewers intern just got fired. David, uh, we'll have to tweet that out tonight and get uh, at Brewers on that uh, fixing Luis Perdomo as the Brewers' four-string outfielder. And, yeah, the bullpen, if you want to put that in a random order, fine. But don't disrespect Devin Williams and say Taylor Rogers is the Brewers' closer. He never was. Uh, There was talks of him sharing the role, and he pitched himself out of that rather quickly. So uh, don't disrespect uh, Devin Williams on that one. All right, number five on our fact or fiction, our final one for today here, David, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff will be with the Brewers on opening day in 2023. I I I think that's a fact. I'm going to go fact on that as well. I don't think the Brewers will depart from Burns or Woodruff, and uh, I would not be too happy. So I'm going to say fact on that. I'm excited for the offseason in the, in the fact that the Brewers have lots of potential moves, and uh, the Brewers have really an exciting roster going into next year, so I'm excited to take a look at that this off season. So any David, any final thoughts here today before we go into our stat of the day? I, yeah, with, with Burns, Burns did say that he feels like if they go into the the season with the same roster that they came into with this year, or I guess ended with, cause they're not going to have Josh Hader that he feels like the results will be different, which maybe there was, there were injuries, there was some underperforming uh, from, especially from the the bullpen, I guess, would be probably the main culprit of that. But I'd be disappointed if they if they left the offseason without really getting any better. I think that'd be a wasted opportunity, or especially if they got worse and traded Burns or Woodruff. I was kind of wondering, did, did Mark Antanasio pay Corbin Burns to say that so that fans are like, hey, well, our best player said we don't really need to get better. So they don't complain as much when when Mark Mark Asanasio doesn't spend money. Not sure. I was thinking maybe maybe he paid Corbin Burns off to say that with a six dollar concession voucher. Maybe perhaps. But 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 I, I I I certainly hope they don't go into the year with. I mean for sure down Burns and Woodruff. I'm I'm a little bit worried about that, but especially with overall with a team that isn't much. 
better than it was this year. Yeah, absolutely would agree. And David, let's circle back to our trivia question here. What's our trivia question? Reminder for the trivia question, it was just one brewer has been worth at least two wins above replacement in each of the past three full seasons, being 19, 21, and 22, either hitter or pitcher. Who is that player? Well, I think back to, of course, Corbin Burns' 2019 season, which knocks him out of that role. Adames Wong, not on the Brewers. Urias, not on the Brewers. Renfro, really just left for me, Christian Yelich or Brandon Woodruff. Um, for the trivia question answer. And I'm, I was kind of feeling that Yelich probably didn't achieve that mark. So I'm going to go Brandon Woodruff. That is correct. Yelich had, I think, 1.3 only last year. So Woodruff is the only guy. I mean, he had a, he had a good year in 19. And then, of course, was a, was a Cy Young contender really last year. And then this year was, was very good again. Yeah. I mean, if he's if he's healthy for the whole year, he's a Cy Young contender two years in a row um, as well. So he was he was excellent, but uh, kind of interesting stat of the day, David. What do you have for us? The Brewers' rotation ERA in twenty twenty two was three point seven five. In twenty twenty one, it was three point one three. They had largely the same pitchers, but more injuries, and they they performed worse in terms of ERA showing a, a pretty sizable gap. I actually have another stat of the day that I was thinking about earlier that we, I, we'd already prepared for this episode before, but I don't think the NL Central has won a playoff series since the Brewers in 2018 because the Cardinals' first-round exit this year, getting swept by the Phillies. Last year, Brewers lost to the Braves. Cardinals lost their matchup to the Dodgers. 2020, all four of the, the NL Central teams that made it they all lost in the first round. 2019, Brewers lost in the wild card round. I think I think the Cardinals lost as well in the first round. That would have been to the, the Braves, I think. I guess I would have to make sure on that, but I'm almost positive that was the case. And then that goes back to 18 when the Brewers defeated the Rockies in the, uh, in the NLDS. Yeah, that's a good point. 2019, St. Louis Cardinals lost in the NLCS to the Nationals. They were actually swept oh, in the NLCS. So they I guess did win the NLCS. Yes, that that was. But, but that, I was impressed with the, the the recollection there off the cuff right there. But yeah, NL Central Division uh, champion Cardinals making a quick exit as well. So again, this will be the final Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We will be back next week as the Barrel Banter. Excited for the off season. Um, continuing to grow the content we put out on YouTube as well as our podcast. Should be a lot of fun. Hope that you will join us as well. And as always, this is Peter and David signing off. Go Brewers! Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time!